Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, June the 12th, 2023. It is currently 10.10 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And it was from this very studio today where I made an embarrassing mistake. I had to then delete that episode, then come back and do another episode to acknowledge the mistake, correct the mistake, and... So basically, from this studio, you could very much say, I have not accomplished anything. That's always good, right? Hey, so what did you do today? Oh, you know what I did today? I accomplished absolutely nothing. Okay, a little bit of sarcasm there. I'm not actually applauding the fact that I didn't accomplish anything, but that's the reality. I, 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 yeah, a little bit of sarcasm. I'm being sarcastic. Yes, it has been frustrating because today was supposed to make up for all the things I didn't get accomplished yesterday. So now I didn't get things accomplished yesterday. So now here I am today, not getting things accomplished. So now I'm like, you know, three days behind. So I will always try and be trying to catch up. I'm never going to catch up, but I am going to try. I'm going to attempt in this episode to accomplish something of value. I don't know if I will be able to, but you know, what do you do? You know, I, I, there, I know it's, I know it's a cliche. I know it doesn't really mean anything because it's just, you know, it's like one of those little posters, you know, positive thinking posters. So I know it's, it's, it's really shallow, but I mean, it, there is a little bit of truth to it, right? I mean, all you can do, no matter how many times you mess up, no matter how many times you fail, All you can, I mean, I guess that's not the only thing you can do. Number one, you can just lay there and give up and die. I guess you can do that. Or you can try to get back up and do something, right? So I'm, I'm here. I am. I'm going to get back and try to do something. And the reason I'm mentioning all of that is because it's going to be a little bit ironic that I'm going to be talking about preaching and how we should preach. Well, am I the person to say how we should or shouldn't preach considering I couldn't read a verse in Jeremiah correctly and I couldn't get the word right and then I thought it was a different word and then I was – and yeah, like am I the person to really be sitting in front of a microphone talking about it? Probably not, but – that's the situation where, trust me, I, I, by no means am I missing the irony here. No, by no means am I missing how foolish this is. But I obviously, I've been teaching and preaching and broadcasting for basically most of my adult life. Uh, and so, I mean, I started public speaking, you know, in churches as a teenager. So I've been teaching, preaching, speaking forever, you think at this point I would have, you know, be able to do basic things like get a word right. But, you know, you never know when you're, when you're live, you never know whenever you're speaking publicly, like, and there's no safety net, there's nothing to to catch you. You never know when something is just going to, you're going to trip you up. Something is just going to cause a problem. Sometimes you realize, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you see the problem coming before you get there. And then nobody realizes. And you just kind of detour. And you're like, oh, wait, I don't know why the King James is using it. that way. I'll just go pick up a different translation and like just transition quickly and not even really like nobody really knows what happened. And you're trying to avoid an actual problem. Sometimes it's obvious that you're trying to avoid it, but it's better to avoid it than stumble right into it. But I stumbled right into it, thought I was being, <laughs> I don't know what I thought. But I, but in spite of that, here I sit in the studio at 10, 14 p.m. Central Time here in West Texas. And we're going to talk about preaching because here's what happened. 
a little while ago. I don't even know. I don't know. Maybe an hour ago, maybe 35 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago. I get an email that reads, why preaching should be a team sport. And I thought, oh, I'm like, okay, all right. I I get it. I get like, I immediately saw the, the, the title of the email. I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's hurtful because I thought someone was saying, look, as bad as you messed up today, that's why preaching needs to be a team sport. You need someone else. You need someone else to help you. You like, I, I thought, man, how embarrassing. Now I have messed up to such a degree that people are like, Hey, you need help. You need a tag team partner. You, in fact, you need to retire. You, you need to go away. Like I was like, I, I thought it had to relate to my mistake, but I, I don't think it was sent to me for that. I don't think so. Maybe it was because the person who emailed me, they just sent me the link, right? With the title, why preaching should be a team sport. And then there was a link. I clicked on the link. It took me to sermoncentral.com. And there's an article here entitled, well, not really an article. It's actually a video. Uh, I thought it was going to be an article. Why preaching should be a team sport. The 10-minute teacher claims our cultural traditions are hindering the advance of the gospel. What do you think? Now, that's not in the email. They don't actually ask the question, but this is at the very, at, at Sermon Central. So there's something called the 10 minute teacher, right? I don't know anything about the t- uh, 10 minute teacher, but they're claiming that our cultural traditions are hindering the advance of the gospel. And then Sermon Central is asking, what do you think? And then they have the video called preaching as a team sport from the 10 minute teacher. So. I don't know what the 10 minute teacher is going to say because you know, I haven't watched the video, right? I know I probably should. And I'm hoping it's loud enough. I was, I did listen to just enough to go, Oh, I hope this is loud enough, but I didn't feel like trying to, uh, you know, rip the audio, then upload the audio to, uh, to a program, then artificially amplify. I, I didn't feel like doing all of that because I'm already far, far enough behind. I didn't want to spend hours doing, working, doing all of that. Not that it would be hours. That's a little hyperbole, but I didn't want to take any extra time. So I have no idea where they're going, but I would ask you a very important question. Do you think that our cultural traditions, I guess cultural traditions that have entered the church, Do you think our cultural traditions are hindering the advance of the gospel? Now, are they saying that a cultural tradition has come into the church where we don't preach as teams? Like, I guess they're claiming that the way it used to be done was, (laughs) yeah, used to be. Do I want to use that? Never mind. The way it used to be done. Don't even, okay, if you just go listen to the last live broadcast and you'll laugh, right? Are you laughing at me now? Some of you are laughing at me right now. Stop laughing, okay? But how did it used to be done? Was it done in the past with, like, what does it mean to, to preach as a team? Now, I know churches who use maybe, well, I don't put it this way. I can't say for sure because I don't know what they mean by preaching as a team sport. I have my ideas, but if I start talking about my ideas now and then they don't go that direction, and then this is going to be another, you know, exercise in futility. So I won't do that, but I will challenge us to think. All right. Uh, yeah, right. Someone, uh, someone in chat just said laughing with, not at. Okay, give me a break. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah, whatever. Okay. I know you're laughing at me. That's okay. But in what ways, like this, this is almost like we could just do a broadcast on this. In what ways do you think cultural traditions have entered the church and hindered the advance of the gospel? Now, I, the, the cultural tradition, I don't know exactly what they mean by that. I would think that there are always traditions that enter into the church in the way we do church, right? I mean, whether you like it or not, there's like a, you can call it a template, but it's a tradition. Like, this is the way you're supposed to do church. This is the way pastors talk. This is the way you, their sanctuary is supposed to, like, there's just a lot of things that are just become traditions. Do you think they help or hinder? I, I have some strong opinions there, but let's see where they go. Again, this is the 10-minute teacher. 
the 10 minute teacher. Maybe if I only did 10 minute, 10 minute, 10 minute episodes, then maybe I wouldn't make as many mistakes, maybe, right? See, because it's 10 minutes and four seconds. And I started stumbling over the word 10, 10 or the word minute, right? So maybe if I did nine minute teaching, then I wouldn't make a mistake because at 10 minutes is when I started stumbling over the word minute. I, I, I digress. All right, are you ready? Here we go. Let's listen to this. Let's see if we can get something accomplished tonight. Here we go. Are you ready? All right. Dramatic. I was trying to give dramatic pause there. I was trying to get you like, yeah, I'm ready. What is it going to be? Okay, here we go. You probably are not that into it, but okay, here we go. Preaching and teaching the Word of God is not a celebrity-driven one-man show. In this episode of The 10-Minute Teacher, I examine the Bible to show how cultural trends in preaching are hindering the church's true call to proclaim the gospel. Okay, so in this video, and if it's not loud enough, someone let me know, but I do have it uh, turned up as loud as I can possibly get it. So there's nothing I can do to fix it now. We're we're too far in now to back out, okay? So he he says that preaching should not be a, he said, celebrity one-man show. Now, now, whenever people, okay, so let's just do a couple of things here. I don't know what he means by celebrity one-man show. If you're a, if you're a church and only... Okay, someone says I can hear it fine. Great. Hopefully you can. All right. Someone will, as long as one person can, I'm just going to assume that it's right. All right. So if you have a church where you basically have, uh, okay, someone says it's quieter than me, but they can definitely hear it. Okay, good. All right. So if you go to a church and you just basically have one person who preaches and teaches, they do all the preaching and teaching, is that a celebrity tradition? Is that a celebrity idea? See, to me, the celebrity idea, to me, are conferences where people pay money to get in to hear these celebrities preach the word of God. That, to me, is a, the celebrity culture. I don't think celebrity culture is, well, because if, if you come to my church, guess who's teaching Sunday school? Me. Guess who's preaching Sunday morning? Me. Guess who's preaching Wednesday night? Me. Guess who? <laughs> yeah. Guess who's pre- anytime. It's going to be me. It's, I don't see that as celebrity driven. That I see that as why wouldn't I want to preach every opportunity I can get? Like to me, it's like I got into ministry to teach the word of God. So if there is an opportunity, I'm preaching. Like you're going to have to shoot me and drag me out of the pulpit. Like, I want to be there. Like, no, I, I've heard pastors like, I couldn't put together that many sermons or no, give me every, uh, give me, give me 14 hours a week. Give me 15 hours a week. Like I, 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 oh, I, there may be times I'm, oh, you know, I would be probably, I would go too far and, and not be able to accomplish it. But I, yeah, I would love to, you know, to do every hour. I don't know if that's a celebrity thing. Is, is, it a, is it a celebrity-minded thing to have basically one man preach at your church? I just don't know if that's celebrity-driven. I just, I don't see it that way. Let's see what direction he's, he's going to go. Preaching culturally today for most places is really a one-man act. And here we have the example of Mark Driscoll. I could pick any other number of people. But this quote is excellent because it speaks directly to his philosophy of developing other preachers and pastors. He says, this doesn't mean you need to have team preaching or team teaching. I would actually discourage such things. You should train other preachers, but there should be a primary communicator, a senior leader who leads the mission from the pulpit. So in his worldview, in his reading of the Bible, he says that there needs to only be one man who stands in front, and that one man has to be the focus and center of attention. And only when that one man is the focus and center of the te- attention can the church fulfill its mission. And so, again, he represents, I think, a large percentage of American pastors uh, and pastors in the West in general who have this view uh, that preaching is a one-man show. So if I were going to illustrate that, we might look at this cartoon of 
a boat commander, where it's the guy up there standing, in this case with a whip or the bullhorn or the drum or whatever he's beating out, and everyone else is just rowing along to the beat that he sets, and everyone else is just following his command and following his lead. Or maybe in a more modern context, we see Preacher as a solo explorer, because all the people have been replaced by technology, and we can do this through video venues, and we can do all kinds of creative things with how we proclaim the gospel. But in truth, it's still the same solo act. We become the solo explorer just spewing out messages of truth or fact or theology that we just assume others should take because of popularity or power or skill in speech. But cultural change is coming. This article from the Washington Post in 2004, it talks about this idea of preaching by committee. And the article says this, Okay, so they are going, or he is going in this direction, preaching by committee. Now, I have listened to some churches that do this. In fact, at the beginning of this year, we were, I was, uh, been, I was watching and listening to sermons on the gospel of John being preached at a church, and they were doing it by committee. And it was the most disjointed, discombobulated mess that I'd ever heard in my life. It made no sense. It just felt so weird. Like they're supposedly going through the gospel of John a year and a half. I finally gave up because the thing was a total train wreck. Okay. One of the worst sermon series of sermons in the gospel of John I've ever heard in my entire life. Like it was so bad. I reviewed some of them. So I, I do not think I am exaggerating any way. Well, I know I'm not exaggerating. It was the worst ever. And one of the things that made it so bad was one Sunday it would be one person preaching the next Sunday. And so what it would be is like this person would come along and like, okay, um, I'm going to preach. Let me go to the gospel of John really quick. Um, I don't remember their exact breakdown. Oh, but it was so bad. It was so bad. It was a, it was a disaster of epic proportions. It was so bad. Um, so one person would come along and like, okay, I'm going to preach John chapter one verses one through 14 this week. So they pre, and then the next person, the next week, the person would come along. I'm going to preach John chapter one verses 15 and following. And they just, it was all these different people. And it was so, there was, it was so disjointed. There was no real connection. Now they did have an overarching theme. They tried to make all the sermons fit, but they were imposing the idea on the text. But it was so weird to me to have like person A preach this Sunday. Next Sunday, it'll be person B. The following Sunday, it'll be person C. Maybe the next Sunday after that, it'll be person D. Then we'll go back to person A. Then B, like, like, what is that? Like, it, the, it's just, you have completely different styles and approaches. Like, what, I, 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 I don't know how that works. That would drive me crazy. Now, some people, well, this is what I've heard. Okay. I cannot speak for, so my listening to people who go to those kinds of churches, my sample size here is extremely small. So I have watched it or I've listened to it online or watched it happen. And every single time, I, it, to me, it's disjointed mess. It just doesn't have any cohesiveness. It doesn't seem to fit together. So I hate it for that reason. But when I talk to people who go to those churches, inevitably, I will hear something like this. Well, oh, next week, so-and-so is preaching. Yeah, I'm probably not going that way. And I'm like, wait, what? They will not, like they show up on the Sundays when their favorites preaching, in many cases, will skip the Sundays, the person preaching who they do not like, or they don't like their style. And so it would be this really weird thing. Or, well, we're going to go to a different service because so-and-so is preaching at the nine o'clock hour. So we're going to go, or they have like three different kind of services going, the contemporary or the traditional. Well, so-and-so is preaching the contemporary, so we're going to go to the traditional, and it would be based on who is preaching. So no matter how spiritual people want to make it, I've literally watched people not go to some services because so-and-so is preaching. Well, when I, I, I hate to say this, when I was watching the sermons from a church preaching through the gospel of John, there was like, oh no, that person's preaching? <sighs> Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to watch it, but I like, I, I, because it was just so like, you felt bad for the person. You're like, I don't know what this is. They're doing. They're like, 
they're they're all over the place. And then others would be like, okay, this is more organized. This is more. But see, other people would maybe be like, well, I don't like this. To me, it just creates division. It creates, I think it's a disaster to preach by committee. I think it's a disaster to preach by a team. I, I, would this be unspiritual of me to say, I don't think I could go to a church that does that. They said, but what if you could be one of the people who got, I don't know if I would want that. Now, unless we're all preaching just standalone messages. Now that would be a little different, right? If we're like, okay, every Sunday, you know, uh, you preach one sermon and it's standalone. It's not a part of a, of a, of a series. Like when you do team preaching through a book or through a series, that is a train wreck in my estimation. If everyone's just preaching individual messages, then that may be pretty cool. That could add a little different flavor, a little different perspective. People don't get tired because familiarity breeds contempt. Okay. So I, I could, I, I, I like that. But I, going through a book, I just seems like a mess. No, that, that's my, but let's, let's see what they have to say here. Many worshipers see it as the loneliest part of a minister's job, that is crafting a sermon alone in the wee hours that only aids a Bible and some reference books before presenting the fully formed product to the congregation the next day. But increasingly, that view of sermon writing is outdated. Wait, is he talking about sermon writing? Writing your sermon as a team? The loneliest part of ministry is putting together your sermon alone in the wee hours. I have never once in my life, when I'm putting together a sermon going, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. Putting together a sermon alone is so lonely. I don't think I've ever done that. I I, I think... So are they talking about preaching as a team? Are they talking about... A, a, a team writing your sermon. Would you want, would I want a team writing my sermon? Hey, so you, what do you do? You come into the office on, a lot of pastors take off on Monday. So you come walking in on Tuesday, All right, team. All right, everybody get in the conference room. This coming Tuesday, uh, this coming Sunday, I got to be preaching Jeremiah chapter three. So let's go. How, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Oh, all right. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Now I do. Um, a lot of times I do have people who listen to this podcast help me because I will say, Hey, I'm working on this or Hey, Hey, do sometimes when I give people homework, that helps me, right? Hey, we're going to be working on backsliding. And then people send me the homework. And, but I usually make it very clear from the pulpit that I'm using someone's homework. But, um, so I, I mean, I got no problem asking for help. I got no problem having people help me, but I never perceived it as some lonely thing. Uh, yeah, it does sound, I, I mean, I, I, it sounds cumbersome. Someone says it sounds uh, cumbersome. Some, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what that would be like. Because, I mean, this is my thinking. You get three Christians together and you look at any passage of scripture, you're going to get radically different opinions. I guess that's a good thing, maybe. All right, let's see how he talks about this. At a growing number of churches, the pastor's message is the painstaking work of a committee, a panel of church staff and congregants who meet weekly to suggest sermon topics, critique the minister's prose, and examine how his or her preaching will mesh with other elements of the service. So here we see. Wait, you meet with a committee of staff and people in the congregation who suggest preaching topics and then critique the pastor's prose and how it's going to fit with the service? What in the name of bubblegum is this? Hey guys, I'm going to be preaching on this. And then Susie from the congregation, I'm just picking the name Susie. So to any real Susie, I'm not talking about you, just Susie made a made up name. Okay. Um, would be like, um, I don't know what that really fits with the service. And I, I don't really like, I, I like, so you write your sermon out and then they critique it. 
Well, first, they'd be really disappointed in me since I don't write my sermons out. I don't do the so sermon manuscript thing that people do. I have, I have, you know, sometimes a few notes jotted down, sometimes no notes, um, because it's in my head. I don't need it on paper. It's right here. Like I, it's there. I, I know where I'm going. I'm, now, sometimes I'll, I'll, if I feel like I'm going to lose some points, I'll, I'll write it down. And yeah, what? What would be so? Hey guys, I'm going to be preaching on this. What do you guys think? And then the committee's like, uh, well, no, I'm not so sure. I mean, did Jeremiah go in <laughs> preaching to Judah? Hey guys, I need a committee of you to uh, judge my sermon. Like, is that a thing? Is that a real thing? That seems bizarre to me. Okay, all right. Let, let me let, let's see where they're going to go. See a new cultural trend, and if I were going to do another sports analogy, we could look at baseball, where preaching is seen as a strong rotation. You have multiple people who can pitch in the game, and some are the openers and some are the closers, but they each have a different role and a different function. And so a lot of times we see preaching as this. There's the main pitcher, the opening pitcher, there's the star pitcher, but then there's the closer or the relief pitcher. We see pastors in this role of providing a strong rotation from the pulpit. Or with this new cultural trend, some people might see preaching as a basketball analogy, where you're presenting a strong court, where it's five gifted and talented people equally sharing this mission and purpose of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're all on. So he's talking about preaching. So not only do you have a team preaching, you have a committee. Someone says, is that just to make sure everyone is happy? Yeah. yeah. Is that the point of a sermon? Like, I don't know, like. I'd be like, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be done with this. And what if the committee's like, well, no, we don't like that. We think that that's too divisive or we think that that's too controversial or I don't agree with your hypotheses here and I don't agree with this and I don't agree with your view on, well, like even, even what I, I made, I made a suggestion, uh, a, a little bit of a hypotheses about Proverbs 31. If I would have suggested that in some of the community, they'd be like, absolutely not. And there's no way you could say that. Like, like I, things would be getting thrown out of my sermons left and right. Like that, that would be like, why, why instead of having the, why won't the pastor just, this is what the pastor, um, to me, this is what a committee preaching is. If, if you're going to have a committee basically help you write the sermon, just have the committee write it and hey, just leave it up on the pulpit when you're done. Like I would just come in on Tuesday. Oh, there's the committee. Hey guys, thank you for all your hard work. Hey, when you get the sermon finished, just leave it on the pulpit. I'll just, I don't need to look at it in advance. I'll just look at it when I get into the pulpit on Sunday and I'll just follow it to the the letter. I'll just be, hey, today's sermon is brought to you by Susie and Kathy. Thank you, ladies, for putting this together. Well, according to Susie and Kathy, uh, the way we should interpret Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20, about who broke the yoke, I think it's Jeremiah 2.20. Let me look at it. Uh, I think it's Jeremiah 2.20 where the yoke is broken. Uh, Jeremiah 2.20, am I correct here? For of old time, I have broken the yoke. Okay, uh, according to Susie and Kathy, like I would, I, I know I'd probably get fired for doing that, but like according to them, this is how we should interpret who broke the yoke. I think they're both whacked out of their heads, but hey, they're the committee who writes the sermons. So yeah, I probably wouldn't be able to, I probably wouldn't do well. Like who gets to determine? Does the pastor himself gets to determine the interpretation? But what if the committee is like, eh, we're not so down with that? Well, we want this service to be a little bit more uplifting, and we think you're coming in a little harsh. Well, we don't think you should be so critical of that. Like, and then you have a, a you know, your star, you, you have your basketball team of preachers coming next Sunday, standing at six foot two. Here he is, our second string preacher. John, right? Like, like, I don't know. I know, I know you wouldn't introduce it that way, but I just don't get it. Hey, so you have the relief pitcher, you have the star, who's the star pitcher? Like, oh, I'm the star pitcher, man. You're, you're like, you know, you're, you're, I'm first string violin. You're still down a little ways. Maybe one day you'll get the first string. Like, I just don't understand the whole concept. The whole concept just seems like it is begging for division, for controversy, and for favorites. 
on the court at the same time, but you have still different talents and functions as part of that team. So whether your model is the one-man act or the team approach, these are all cultural trends. So what I want to do now is take a look at a biblical paradigm for gospel proclamation. And the first thing we can look at is the character of Christ himself and what he modeled for us and what we should expect of all of our preachers and teachers. In Matthew 6, Jesus gives this instruction to his disciples. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so Jesus modeled this kind of servant leadership to his disciples and he asked What in the world is he talking about? What in the The truth is out there somewhere. What is he talking about? I felt like we just, I didn't have a Twilight Zone theme, so that's the best I could come up with. What was that? What was that? So wait... He quotes Matthew 6, that Jesus models this servant leadership where you have a committee, you have a team. All right, correct me if I'm wrong. Matthew 6 is in a sermon that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, preached by how many people? One. Okay, he didn't say, hey, I'm just going to preach the first uh, part of this, and then coming up next will be Peter, and then coming up next will be Matthew, and then coming up (laughs) next. No. Number two, did a committee write it? So, well, why would you quote Matthew 6 to prove your point? All right, he's got to have a better, he's got to have a better scriptural support for his position than this them in all the areas of their life. And he gives some specific examples here, but these extend to the ministry of the preacher and the teacher of God's word. That yes, we have a public ministry, but it's not to be for the edification of self. It's not so that we store up credit for ourselves. It's so that we can humbly serve and point people to Jesus Christ. In Matthew 20, Yes, someone just asked, if you have a star player... Doesn't that make them the celebrity? Isn't that what he's trying to say is wrong with preaching? Yeah, but he seemed to acknowledge that you would have one preacher that may be the star. So I don't know. And I don't understand. Like He's like, hey, this Matthew passage, it extends to ministry. Why? Based on what? And if it extends on ministry, now I do agree, I should not be in ministry for self-edification. I I 100% agree with that. Like, and, and I, and I will be honest with you. I'm convicted by that, right? Because today I made a mistake that embarrassed me, that humiliated me. So did I get upset about that mistake? And did I delete that message because of how it impacted me? In other words, it made me look stupid. Now, should I have been willing to look stupid because other than that mistake, Everything else was for, was for a people. I mean, the whole message was for, supposed to have been for everyone else's edification to know how to proceed on through Jeremiah for, for this week. Should I have left my stupidity there? Right? Because it's not about me. Or did that mistake so take away or distract from what I was trying to do to edify that I would have gotten all the emails going, man, Come on, used to, used to, like, come on, you're, you, you don't know, you don't know how these words work. Like, what, what are you doing? Um, would it just, everyone would have so focused on that. Now, personally, I felt that it was a, it wasn't like when you do a message about God's word, you need, in, in a sense, to, to honor God's word by putting together something that's, that's, that's good, that's decent. And if it's not, you need to acknowledge it. And, and mess, and so I couldn't have gone and edited out. I could have maybe recorded a little intro at the beginning and acknowledge my mistake in it. Maybe, but I, but I, so I saw, so I will take this as much as I'm criticizing it. 
That is a very valid point. When anyone preaches, when anyone teaches, every time I stand behind the pulpit, and but this is true of those in a praise band. This is true of anyone singing a special. Are you doing it for the edification and glory of God? Or are you doing it for self? Right? I, 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 look, I'm just going to be, I, I cannot speak for any other preacher, but there are there have been hundreds of, who knows how many times, maybe thousands of times I've stood in a pulpit, left the pulpit, and clearly I did it for self-edification because I was worried about how I looked. I was worried whether people like it. Time and time again, I stand, I sit in this studio and turn on this microphone and over there are times clearly it's for self-edification because I'm worried about, oh, wait, I made this mistake. I'm going to look stupid instead of worrying about. Now, hopefully there are times where, no, I'm deleting it because that's I, I, I made a mistake. I, 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 I took I distracted from God's word and that and that's not God's God's word is worthy of more than that. And I'm I did not uh, do uh, I didn't do justice to it. So I need to delete it. I messed it up. I made a mistake or I said something incorrectly and that distracts from God's word. Now, it's a fine line, ladies and gentlemen, like a very fine line when you're doing it for self and when you're doing it for the right reasons. And we all know that there's a million times in our life where am I doing something for am I loving a person f- with love, or am I loving that person because I'm truly loving me and I'm doing it for my benefit? Like I mean, we, I mean, that, that I, I, I will allow that to be convicting to me. I can't speak for you, but that will be convicting to me, and it will challenge me to think, okay, what I did today when I got so upset because I felt stupid and I felt embarrassed and I felt humiliated because I was stupid and I d- had deserved to be humiliated, but was my own ego at stake? Was my own pride at stake? Now, I would hope that if it was, that I would have just left it like I deleted it and never mentioned it again and don't say a thing to anyone. That to me would have been more to protect my pride. But to turn the microphone back on and say, hey, guys, I was an idiot today. That I hope demonstrates that I wasn't I was trying to destroy my pride and my ego, hopefully, because I acknowledged it. Don't know if that's the case, but that, so I do agree there, but I don't know if one person preaching, like if one person is preaching, oh, they're doing it for self. They're doing it to exalt their, I think that's not fair. Whether a person is preaching and a team or a person preaching by themselves, how do you, uh, uh, the entire team could be doing it for their own self-advancement, their own like, I don't know how the number of people preaching or if the person is, quote unquote, lonely, putting away, putting together sermons in the wee hours of the night. OK, what what is that? OK, I, I don't think that has anything to do with that. It's a very valid point. I just don't think it's being fairly applied in this situation. Let's see what else he has to say. Jesus goes on to teach his disciples by saying, you know that there are rulers in this world who lord it over their people, and officials who flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, Christ is the model for the pastor, teacher, and preacher. It is not... Does that mean you can't have one person preaching? Like, I don't know how that, how do you take those passages and go, one man preaching is bad. (laughs) I don't, don't, you need to have the committee help you write your sermon and you need a team preaching with you. And what do you do in a small church? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Bobby, look, uh, and I know there is someone in my church named Bobby, but I'm not referring to the Bobby in my church, okay? I'm just picking random names here, okay? Hey, Bobby, I know you don't really want to be a preacher, and I know you have never gone to Bible college, or you you don't really care about any of that, but hey, we got to have a team preaching, so next Sunday, boom, it's on you. Like, do you put people, (laughs) may not be the people ready to preach, because a small church, what is a small church supposed to do? Well, you shouldn't be a small church. The minute you drop to two, you don't have enough people to be a team preaching, then you just close the doors down and you go home. Well, that, that I don't get this. 
a ministry of self-glorification. It is not a ministry where the pastor says, I have authority and I can tell others what to do and I command authority because of my position. No, that's not the ministry of one who is called to preach and teach the Word of God. It's that we do so with humility and we lay down our lives in service as Christ is our model. We see the life of Jesus carried out then in spirit-gifted teams. In Ephesians 4, we have this teaching from Paul. It says, He who descended, that is Jesus, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And notice this, each one of these is plural. There is not one apostle, one prophet, one evangelist, one shepherd, or one teacher. There is a plurality of these men and women who are gifted by the Spirit of God to build up the body of Christ. And I know some will make an excuse that it says, well, that's, there's a plurality, but just in my church, there's only one. And I think that that misses the entire point of being gifted by God's Spirit. It's so that He can equip us as a people to point toward Jesus because there is only one head. There is only one ruler. There is only one king over the church and that is Jesus Christ. The rest of us are his servants working together again to point towards Jesus Christ and to build up one another. And then in Acts 13, we see how this was lived out in the early church in their church planting mission. We read, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers And now we list some names. Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. So notice this connection here. We have prophets and teachers. And please note, they were being sent out. They were leaving that church to go out to do ministry. So are you saying that proves definitively that they were preaching by team and committee? Or were they had all of these gifted people? Yeah, this, okay, someone just says this theoretical church sounds like pure chaos. It does to me. I, I don't know how you would get consistent preaching or teaching. I, I don't know. I don't know. You, I, man, I don't know. And then we have a list and it goes to Barnabas and Saul. And what's important to read here is that there is a connection between teams of people with a diversity of gifts, prophets and teachers being put together. Now we only have the names of Barnabas and Saul, but we also realize that they were not the only ones sent out on these teams. So we have Barnabas, a prophet, and Saul, a teacher, but it took both of them working together. They were sent out in teams for their missionary work. Like, I don't understand. Like, how are you then saying the local church needs an entire, we need a all-star basketball team to preach. We need a committee made up of, of, of paid staff and congregation members to check the pastor's pros and to check the sermon, like, and determine if the sermon is appropriate for the ser, like, who's, who's in charge of the church? (laughs) Like, I, I, I don't understand this. to proclaim the word of God. It was not Saul who was a solo teacher or preacher. He was not the guy running the show. He was not the guy standing up saying, it's my vision, it's my way or the highway. He worked with a group of people and together they were called by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the word of God. And yes, they ran into conflicts and there was divisions in those teams, but that was the flesh at work. Initially, it was the spirit of God who called them in unity and as a team, to proclaim together the word of God. And that's what we see lived out in the life. Also, once again, I love I, when p- the people's use of the book of Acts always just absolutely is blows my mind and confuses me. Have you ever noticed that people go to Acts and pull something out and say, this is prescriptive. It prescribes what we're supposed to do. And then when you find something else in Acts, like, I don't know, they sold all of their possessions and they had everything in common and they seemed to meet every single day. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not prescriptive. That's descriptive. This part 
That's the way we're supposed to do it. That part, we're not. Wait, they preach till midnight? No, 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 no. We're not having church that goes till midnight. We're not going to do that. We're not going to meet seven days a week. We're not going to sell all of our property and have everything in common. We're not having services that go till midnight. Wait, 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 wait. I thought you're quoting the book of Acts. I thought you're quoting the, everyone goes to the book of Acts, finds the part that they want and say, this is the church I want to get back to. And then anything else we're like, well, no, I mean, I, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to do that. Well, wait a minute. Which part is it? Any, anytime someone says, I want to get back to the church of Acts, I'm like, okay, go sell all of your property and bring it to the church. Sell everything and give us, give us all your money. Then we'll get back to the church of Acts. Sell everything. Typically, it doesn't go over well, okay? For the church and what Paul taught. First Timothy 5.17, Paul instructs Timothy, he says, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Again, plurality, elders, when they multiple, many People work at preaching and teaching. That is the key to understanding the New Testament paradigm for what it means to proclaim the gospel. It is a community of people working together to teach and preach in accordance with the giftings they've been given by God's Spirit. That's all for this episode of The 10-Minute Teacher. I pray you have a deeper understanding and a growing passion to teach and preach as part of a Spirit-gifted team. I I don't know what you want to do with that. Um, I don't know if that's a thing that's catching on. I don't know. I, I don't know even know what year they, that video was made. I mean, they, they, they were mentioning Mark Driscoll there. So I'm assuming this was made probably during the time of maybe Mars Hill, maybe. I mean, I don't think people would be mentioning Mark Driscoll much now unless they were taking older quotes from Mark Driscoll, because that sounds like an older quote from Mark Driscoll. Maybe Mark Driscoll still goes with that philosophy. I don't know. Um, but I, so I don't know the date. I'm going to say maybe I can find the date of the video. Hang on. Give me a second. I can find the date of the video. Give me one second. I'm going to turn this down really quick. The date of this video. Oh, is 11 years ago. 11 years ago. Um, so... Uh, it, it's had 3,900 views and it was posted 11 years ago, 11 years ago. So I knew, I knew that sounded like an older thing. I don't know why it got today, why I get it today or why it was posted at Sermon Central. I have no idea, but um, I, I don't know how many churches have adopted that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't know how you work that. I don't know because, like, if because one, do you then you'd even have you would either have to be a church large enough to have a paid staff of multiple people who are qualified to teach, or you'd have to be a church that has lots of people in the congregation that have the ability to teach, and and not only the ability, the willingness to put in the work. Hey, look, I know you work 40, 50 hours a week, but I need you to be writing sermons because every other Sunday you need to preach because we got it. And then when is the congregation going to meet? Like, did the congregation come up there on Tuesday night or Thursday night or Friday night to review your sermon? Do you, do you have a Zoom call and go, Hey guys, here's what I'm going to preaching. And then, you know, someone's like, uh, nope, sorry, don't like that. Like, I, like, I don't understand how any of that works in a practical way. I, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But isn't it funny? Once again, it just shows that within Christianity, there's never agreement on how we do anything. There's not agreement on how many people should be preaching at your church. There's not agreement on the structure. There's not agreement if the pastor can just write his sermon in the wee hours of the night by himself without a committee deciding if it's good or not good and, and critiquing his prose. Like, what is that? Okay. Like that, that just tells me so much of preaching is a speech and it's not actually studying of God's word, but I digress. Um, there's just, I mean, I don't know what that is. I just, I don't know. I've, I've never been, I've always been in churches where it's one, one pastor. They preach and teach. 
every once in a while, other people get an opportunity. I, I, I usually was given an opportunity. And every, in every church I've ever been in, I was given an opportunity, other than the Lutheran church. I, ever, uh, every other church, I, I was always given an opportunity to preach and teach. Now, sometimes I was teaching Sunday school to either teenagers or to the singles. That, well, then I did, no, I did teach adult Sunday school as well. Uh, and then I got to preach uh, at different times. Now, I do believe, if you're a church, I do believe this. I will just throw this out there. Because I, I think the whole seminary industrial complex is a scam beyond all comprehension. I believe churches should be the ones training men for ministry. So I believe if you have someone, a young man in ministry, or a young man who wants to go in ministry, then by all means, you start training him not only academically, right? You start having him study and turning in homework and giving him tests and assignments and teaching him Bible study methods. And then you start giving him opportunities to teach. You may start with Sunday school class. You may start with a Wednesday night. You may start with a Sunday night. Then you start with a Sunday morning. You give, you have to give, you've got to give them opportunities. If they're, if they're like, like, Hey, I want to learn and I'm ready to learn from you because then that's the church's job to instruct and to help. Now, he may not get as many opportunities as he wants, but you do everything you can. Well, at least for me, it would be hard because I want to be, I mean, I'm just, it's not even about celebrity. I want to preach and teach. I want to preach and teach. I want to, I, it, it's like, I want to do it. And I want to do it. So give me your thoughts. News, if at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I don't know what else to say. I'm just a little I am I am there I am gonna take something from that, which hey, we should not be doing ministry for our own self you know, gratif gratification, our own self-advancement, our self own self-exaltation, we should be doing it to serve. I, I do agree with that, and I will take that into consideration and lesson and learn from that um, and examine my reaction today to see if I was doing it for the right reason or the wrong reason. So uh, even though I disagree with everything else said, I will take that part and try to learn from it. But um, I just don't know if I, I don't know if I can agree with that philosophy. Maybe if I was in it and I watched it take place, but I just know anytime I listen to churches online or, pot, or, or pot, you know, sermons online uh, and it's they're going through a series and it's team preaching, almost inevitably I can't stand it. I just I just get irritated by it. It just seems there's no cohesiveness. It doesn't really connect. And it just seems one person's approach to the text is radically different than the other person's approach to the text. So then it's disjointed. Like it just... I don't, you may have a completely different experience with it, and you may think it's the greatest thing in the history of the world. You can give me your justification. Again, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. There you go. Everyone have a great night. God bless.